As we come to the Word of God this morning, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our loving Father, we do thank you for the gift of grace that we have through Christ. Your love is so deep that we can never plumb the depths of it. But we want to try. We want to see that love. We want to study it. That our hearts may be filled with your glory. That we may be humbled at the foot of the cross, recognizing all that you did on our behalf. And Father, we ask that you would continue to transform our lives as we listen to your word and as we conform our lives to it. Help us to live soberly and uprightly in this present age. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, this last year has been disrupting and confusing for everyone around the world, and particularly for businesses. They've been left scrambling, trying to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to operate their business in the face of a worldwide pandemic. How would they operate? What is their mission now if the people they're trying to reach are not showing up to their stores. And now here we are 10 months in, and for some it's only gotten more confusing, and for others there's been a little more clarity, but there's still a lot that is not yet figured out. But the great thing is for the church, for Christ's bride, her mission has always been crystal clear. Jesus gave his people a task that transcends every age, every culture, and every catastrophe. It was relevant and necessary in the first century when Jesus first gave his disciples the, his, this commission. And it's relevant today in the 21st. It's applicable in Africa as it is in America. It was a mission for his blood-bought people to be about in all places and in all times. And so it's the mission for us today here at Foothill Bible Church. And if we're going to be faithful to our marching orders as a church, then we must understand what this mission is. We must be focused. Not blurred in trying to understand what we're doing, but, but crystal clear and focused. We can't get sidetracked on secondary causes, as good as they might be. But to be faithful, we must be focused and passionate about what Christ gave us to do. And so this morning, I want to give us the big picture and the close-up of what our mission is. In other words, I want us to see both the forest and the trees. I want us to get a picture of all of it. And by doing this, I pray that we all would be fired up to go full speed ahead in 2021 for the cause of Christ. This is the great cause which Christians in every age have given their lives to. Lives which have been, they've been asked to give to the full extent in martyrdom and others living out to their final days. But I pray that we would be faithful in our day to carry the baton, carry the torch, and be faithful to Christ with focus and fervor. So let's begin by doing the zoomed out view, the, the forest, the overall of our mission, the overview of our mission. Well, as with anything with the church of Jesus, it, everything begins with Jesus, our Lord himself. Jesus, the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who existed forever in eternity past and was then was manifested in the flesh, born of a virgin woman. He walked upon this earth, experiencing all the frailties and weaknesses of humanity, except for sin. 
He never transgressed God's law. He never thought wrongly of anyone and always only wanted to please his Father in heaven. He came to do his Father's will. This obedience that he learned led him to be crucified upon a cross outside Jerusalem in 33 AD. He was obedient to the point of death, to death upon a cross, as Paul says in Philippians 2. He was despised and rejected of men. He was considered a blasphemer and a hater of God and experiencing the sentence of death reserved for the worst of criminals. He was buried in a tomb and then three days later God raised him up because death could not hold him. And it was this risen God-man who stood in victory over the grave who gathered his disciples together to himself on a mountain in Galilee soon after his resurrection. The account is given to us in Matthew chapter 28, and I invite you to turn there. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 993. Matthew chapter 28. Here are the closing words of Matthew's gospel, and with it are the final words that he records of Jesus to his followers. And let's pick it up in verse 16. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Matthew's recording of what we call the Great Commission. There's some version of it in every one of the Gospels, including also in the first chapter of Acts this commissioning of his disciples to go with the gospel message to the world. And here we have a great whole account of that commission. It begins in verse 16 by setting the stage where it says that the 11 disciples went to this mountain in Galilee that Jesus had directed them to. Now here it only mentions the 11 but there's a good possibility there were a lot more people here. Many scholars believe that this could be the event mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 where there was more than 500 that Jesus appeared to. And this would certainly be a good candidate for that. It's a hillside, it's Galilee, it's open air, it can accommodate hundreds of people. And so here Jesus has, has gathered together many of his followers. In verse 17, it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. He suddenly appeared. They were gathering, they were waiting for him, and there he pops on the scene. He appears before them. And their instinct is to worship, to bow down and worship him in the face of majesty. They were overcome with affection for this risen Lord, the divine Son of God. The text also says, verse 17, that some doubted. This could be some of the 11. It could be some of those others that were gathered there. We don't know. But I believe it was a doubt that did not last long. That if there was a hint of doubt, it was instantly changed with the words that came from Jesus' mouth. Verse 18, Jesus came, it says. There's a sense in which he came forward. He came closer to them. He moved towards his disciples. He didn't stay off. He didn't stay distant. But he drew near to them because he had a tremendous declaration to make. Look what he says in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He emphatically declares that he has the authority, the right to rule. He's the rightful ruler of heaven and earth. No one else has that authority. It's authority given to him by the Father. He is the one who has conquered death, and now he is worthy to have this authority. His authority is comprehensive. It's covering everything in the universe, both physical and spiritual. 
This is authority that Jesus now possesses as he has ascended to heaven and sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's awaiting a time for his enemies to become a footstool for his feet, Psalm 110. And one day he will return to rule physically upon this planet. But until he, he does so, he has commissioned his followers to be about something. And that's what he launches into. Because of his authority, because of his right to rule, he now commissions his disciples. And that is the reason for the therefore in verse 19. Now, here in verse 19, Jesus gives his instructions to his disciples. He tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, what you've probably heard, but it's important to repeat again, is that the primary command in these verses is to make disciples. All the other activities listed in these verses, verses 19 and 20, are supplemental or are further explaining how to go about this one command. So, so if someone were to ask you, what is the primary task that Jesus gave the church? You would answer, well, it's to make disciples because that is the primary thing that Jesus gave his disciples here. So notice a few things in this commission. Notice, number one, that it's making disciples isn't limited to Israel. He's not saying go simply to Israel. He's now expanded it to go to all the nations. Make, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Notice that making disciples involves movement and travel. It's the first, uh, the opening part of verse 19 says, go, therefore. It could be translated, as you are going, make disciples, or it could also carry in some of the, the command force of the main verb to make disciples. But the point is that there's got to be movement. And as we see through the book of Acts playing out this command, there, the, the apostles and the disciples traveled all over the known world to take the gospel to the nations. These disciples couldn't stay in Israel and still reach the nations. They needed, there was an amount of going that needed to happen. Making disciples, I think, also is clear here is the calling of every Christian. Jesus doesn't delineate and say, oh, you apostles or you, elder, or you uh, uh, disciples, 11 disciples only go and make disciples. This is meant to be carried on by every Christian, by every follower of Jesus, even down to the present age, even to the end of the age, because Jesus ended with the promise. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age, indicating that this task was to continue on even until that time. So it couldn't have just been for the 11. We see also that making disciples involves conversion. Conversion. And that that conversion is marked with baptism. So they were to go out and make converts initially. To make these disciples meant to turn them from following one idol or, or God and turn them to following the, the true and living God. And their baptism would mark that change. Because now they'd be baptized in the name, the single name. Notice not multiple names, but the single name showing the unity of the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the God that they now follow. This is the God that they worship. But not only is it making of converts, notice that making disciples here involves development of the new convert. Because notice what else Jesus said in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These disciples that were converted, are now to be taught to obey. There's to be development as they learn to obey all that God has commanded them. And notice also at the end of verse 20 that making disciples comes with a promise. It comes with the promise of the presence of Christ. That Christ is present with his people to always be with them as they are about this task of taking the message of his lordship to all of the nations so that many would come to believe and to see the living Christ. And so this is the commission Jesus gave to his disciples there in the first century, and it's the commission of every generation of disciples after them. It's been the mission of the church from the beginning. We see the early church carrying this on through the book of Acts as they continue to send the message out into the world to the very ends of the earth. And so, this is the calling of the church in the 21st century. We are sent out into the world in order to see that men and women, boys and girls, would come to Christ, be converted to Jesus. 
God has elected a people for salvation in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. But the elect must repent and believe the gospel. And how are they going to repent and believe the gospel? They need to hear the gospel. The gospel must be spoken to them. And how are they going to hear the gospel spoken to them if no one is sent and no one goes? Paul's argument in Romans chapter 10. And so the church is about these marching orders to bring the gospel to the nations. Again, this is our mission in 2021. We must continue to do all we can to make disciples here in Southern California and by extension through those we send beyond. We want to see more and more people submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? We don't we're not just happy with, we, we love all that God has redeemed among us. We want to see more and more praising the name of God. That was the expression of the psalmist that I read at the start of our service in Psalm 67. That let the peoples praise you. We want all the peoples around this globe to praise the name of Christ. That is the heartbeat of every Christian. We want people saved from the wrath and the judgment that they deserve. We want people, dead people, to be made alive. Now, we here at FBC have sought to apply and adapt these verses, this commission, to our situation, our context, in our mission statement. And if you've been here for any length of time, maybe you've heard it, and this morning I'd like to explain it to you. The mission of Photo Bible Church is we exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, in this is three verbs, to make, to mature, and to multiply. And you'll notice that in one sense, Jesus gave us the one verb to make disciples, and here we have three. It looks like we've added to Jesus' words. We're going beyond what he said. But in defense, I'd like to say that we have included these three words or these other two words in order to help expand and fill out all that Jesus meant in that initial command to make disciples. We're not looking to add, but to further explain. This idea of making disciples is the idea of conversion. We saw that in the commission. This idea of maturing disciples is the idea of development. Again, we saw that in Matthew 28 as well, this idea of teaching them to observe. They need to grow in obedience. And Jesus' command also envisions teachers, those who would teach others to observe. And so there's a passing on to the next generation that we would like to identify as multiplying disciples. And so we saw it as important to help spell out for us to make sure that we're fully obeying all that God commanded us to do to include these three commands. Now, we need to notice that from this commission that Jesus gave, that this is not just a self-improvement plan. That it's like three steps for you to go privately home to your room, and if you just follow these three things, you're going to be a better person. This is a commission for all of Christ's people in which to develop all of Christ's people. This, is, this commission is inherently communal and relational. We too often privatize our faith and just think about me and Jesus and what I need to do to grow, what I need to do to be closer to God. And that's, there's a true part of that, and we need to cultivate that. But we cannot miss the communal, relational nature of the church. You see, these things don't happen without other people. We, there's a part of this commission that we need each other. You see, we're a, faith, a community of, of Christ's people seeking to be faithful to Christ's commission. And this is the mission to which we must be passionately faithful to. We cannot go about this haphazardly. We cannot go about it half-heartedly. As a believer, by trusting in Jesus Christ, your identity, first and foremost, above all, is in Jesus. When everything else is stripped away upon your death or return of Christ, the thing that's going to matter the most is that you are found in Jesus Christ. It's not going to matter what education you had. It's not going to matter what family you were born into. It's not going to matter what country you were born into. It doesn't matter what job you've had or what accomplishments you've, you've attained. 
What's going to matter is whether you're found in Jesus Christ. That is your core identity on this earth, is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are in him. And this is the greatest news in the world, that we are found in Christ. We are united to him in his death, burial, and resurrection, and thus we have new life. And so we walk in newness of life because of all that Christ has done. And so it just follows that if we are united to Jesus, if our identity is found in him, then we need to be about that which Christ has given us to do. We should be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ's bride and to his mission. That it's not that all that Jesus told us to do is, is something on the side that we kind of add into everything else. But we need to make sure it's central in our life. And yet so many Christians today have Jesus and his church and his mission as a side note in their lives. Church is just a weekend activity for them to, to attend rather than this special gathering of believers, special gathering of, of spiritual family. And when it comes to ministry or speaking to others about Jesus, it really just becomes a guilt-induced omission rather than the natural outflow of their walk with him. Or sometimes people today just make their faith as a, as a means to another end, another goal that they're trying to achieve, and it's convenient for them to be Christians and, and to move in that direction. You see, I believe the church will not be a powerful force in our society and in our world until the whole church takes Jesus' whole commission seriously. This is a command for each one of us. And so the question you need to ask is, what place does Christ's commission have in your life? Are you obeying his commission with focus and with fervor? We hear the start of a new year, and particularly in the West, we hear about resolutions, we hear about goals, we hear about self-improvement, life mission statements. What are you looking to accomplish and looking to do? And, and there's a part of this can all be gleaned and be good. I'm not putting it all down as bad, but you see, God calls us to a lot of different things individually. The diversity that found within our body uh, and, and all that we're uh, seeking to accomplish to do in our lives and our vocations is amazing. And God wants us to be faithful in all those things. But while there's differences in the ways that God is calling each of us individually, there is unity and there's singularity to what God is calling us to corporately. And that is to the making of disciples. So, with the remainder of our time, I want us to now zoom in to the trees. And particularly, I want us to look at the specifics of our mission. Uh, what, are, what does make, mature, and multiply mean? What are we looking to accomplish? And what does that mean for you this morning? These three verbs, make, mature, and multiply, are easy to get mixed up. You maybe even heard some of us up here that try to tell you the mission statement kind of jumble those M's together. Uh, you know, multiply something, you know, we, we can kind of, uh, kind of lose them there. And yet, we're, we don't believe that they're totally interchangeable. There is overlap, but they're not totally interchangeable. They're seeking to describe different things. And so I want to help pull them apart enough so that you can understand the differences between them, and maybe that'll help you to remember, remember it. If not, that's okay. The main thing is obedience, not, not remembering the terms necessarily. So first, let's zoom into making disciples. Make disciples is the first specific of our mission and our mission statement. And as I alluded to earlier, we use the term make disciples here in this statement to refer to leading someone to the Lord. Because this is the most fundamental part of discipleship is someone has to be a follower of Jesus. There has to be conversion. Conversion is crucial to, to being a disciple. And so therefore, in order to make a disciple, we have to get them in the front door. And that is leading them to follow Jesus and to trust and to believe in him. And so we use in our mission statement, make disciples, it's reference to the believer's task in seeking to introduce people to Jesus and see them converted. Another term we might use is evangelize. We are to evangelize people and win them to Christ. Now, if we are to obey Christ's commission to make disciples, we cannot skip over this step. We've got to see people come to Jesus. 
We must be evangelizing all nations, all people. Now, evangelism, some in one sense most specifically, is a uh, speaking the gospel message to them, but I think it also broadly apply to all the, the, that goes into presenting the gospel to somebody. It most basically refers to speaking the gospel to someone for the purpose of them repenting and believing in Christ. This is the moment of evangelizing that we want them to do. We want to introduce them to Jesus. We want to speak the gospel message. We want to speak the truth of the word of God to them because it's the word of God that saves. It's not our humble opinion. It's not even our beliefs and convictions that saves. It's the word of God that saves. And so we must be speaking that word of God and seeing people come to Christ. And so, if we are going to be faithfully endeavoring to make disciples, to carry out not only our mission statement that we've set aside, but really, which is the commission that Jesus has given us as a church, to be faithful to his commission, we must be endeavoring to win people to Christ. Each one of us, in each setting that we have, as we are out in the world scattering each week to go to our vocations, to, to, to see our neighbors and our family, we know people that don't know Jesus, and we must have a heart and a desire to introduce them to Christ and win them to the Lord. Now, there's many different ways that we can, we can work to win people to Christ. And the ways that we strike up conversations and the ways that we seek to answer their, their questions and their doubts. And so the ways that, that we all are going to evangelize are going to look a little bit different. There's going to be a variety in the ways that we go about this. But there's, there's some key similarities that have to be there, right? We, we're going to have uh, pray and love the lost. That's going to be key and foundational for all of us, that we love those who don't know the Lord and that our heart breaks for them, that they don't know the living Savior that we know. And so it leads us to pray for them, pray that they might come to know Him. We are all going to have seeking out purposeful relationships with the lost. You see, if we are going to make disciples, we must go out of our way to build relationships with those that don't know Jesus. Otherwise, how are we going to be able to share the gospel with them? We can wait for serendipitous providential moments that the person you sit next to on the plane, and we need to capitalize on those, but we also should be intentional to be moving towards those who don't know the Lord and build relationship with them. And then as we build relationship, there should be engagement with them. There should be conversation, seeking to answer their questions, seeking to draw them out, find out where they're at spiritually, not just chit-chat over the back fence, but seeking to get to spiritual deep issues about where they stand with the Lord. And ultimately, we want to lead them to the scriptures and to Christ. We want to tell them about Jesus and what he did and why that can change their life. This is sometimes getting to that point can take months and years in trying to work on somebody and love them and open up conversation to get to the point where they're ready to receive and to hear what the truth is. But we should always be moving in that direction to win them to the Lord. Now, this means that we don't see unbelievers as a project, that we don't see them as simply one to check off on a box and then we move on to the next, because that's not truly love. How would you like to be someone's project? No, we want to be loved as, as image bearers of God. And that's how we need to treat all those around us, and particularly those we're seeking to reach with, for Christ. Now, there are many ways that we can advance the gospel this year and love unbelievers who come across our path, but I want to suggest one that, that maybe you haven't tried or maybe hasn't been on your radar, and, and maybe it has been on yours, and you're, you're actively doing this, uh, but for those who hasn't, I, I challenge you to endeavor to be a gospel neighbor. Endeavor to be a gospel neighbor. Now, what does it mean to be a gospel neighbor? Well, it means to simply be a neighbor in the place that God has, has you living at the moment and looking with gospel intentionality with the people who live around you. It means looking to your neighborhood, your street or apartment building with that gospel intentionality 
realizing who knows the Lord and who doesn't, taking, a, in one sense, a spiritual survey. And maybe you don't know the spiritual condition of anybody who lives around you. And so that means to be a gospel neighbor, you have to start to get to know the people around you. You've got to start learning names. And uh, you can even begin, I suggest writing a piece of paper and put your house on it and then start drawing houses and put names on it on the piece of paper so that you can start learning the names of the people around you. We, we're not going to be able to introduce them to the Lord if we can't even remember their name. We've got to start to love them at that basic level. And so it means also that we begin caring for them because they're made in the image of God and because they're lost in their sin. In fact, it might be their very habits that show loudly that they're lost in their sin that might even bug you as a neighbor. But it's those things that we've got to be able to get over if we want to see them to know the Lord. We've got to, got to care for them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how their kids are doing. Ask if there's any way that we can, we can help them, which leads to, to serving them in any way that we can. Being open to bless them, maybe even surprise them with some little gift because we care for them, remember? Again, doing all of this, not because they're a project, because we truly want them to be introduced to Christ. It means praying for them, that we start praying through that map of the houses on our street, the apartment units around us. And it could mean practicing hospitality and welcoming them into your home to build relationships and to open up the opportunity to share Christ. Have any of your neighbors ever seen inside your home? Have they ever been invited to a meal or even a barbecue on the front lawn? We've got to do more to reach out and bring people in so they can see what a Christian home looks like, a Christian family looks like, and we can open up opportunities to share Christ with them. Now, for some of you, this might sound super exciting. For some of you, this might sound super daunting. We all need the strength of the Lord in order to be able to reach out to those in our neighborhoods and around us. And it might require a little humility I'm sorry, neighbor, I've lived next to you for 30 years and I just can't remember your name. It might require that, and that's okay because we are humbly giving, uh, representing our Savior. And obviously, in this time of COVID, things look a little different. And so you've got to judge that with your situation. But I ask you and, and plead with you to consider how you might be able to reach out to those who lived immediately around you in this new year. How can you begin to make inroads to build relationship with them? And I pray that God would enable us to see more people believe in Jesus this year through our gospel efforts. How exciting would it be that next January, sitting here in our midst, are more people who have trusted in Jesus because of what God has chosen to do in and through us. Let's pray towards those ends. Let's imagine what the Lord might do. And may the Spirit give us strength and boldness to make disciples, to evangelize those who don't know Jesus. The second specific of our statement is to mature disciples. Mature disciples. This is the second verb in our mission statement. It refers to the process of growth every Christian needs to experience. We come to Christ, and then we continue to grow in the Lord. A process called sanctification or growth. We want to be more set apart from sin and from this world and more consecrated to Christ and the Word of God. And we see this throughout the New Testament. 2 Peter 3.18, we're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or Hebrews 12.14 says to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we see in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 that he was grateful to God because he heard that the Thessalonians' faith was growing abundantly and the love of every one of them for one another was increasing. There was growth. There was movement. They were maturing in their faith. And so growth in the Christian life is to be expected and desired. You see, Jesus, as we said, didn't just say to make converts. He said to make disciples, those who are truly and fully committed to him. And being Part of being a disciple means to obey all that Christ commanded in all areas of life. And to grow in this way takes time. It takes accountability from others. It takes practice as we seek to obey and we fail and we try again. It takes teaching, someone showing us the ropes. 
But you see, this growth and maturity was not just intended for us to be individual projects, for all of us to just accomplish individually. But this, our growth is a community project. All of us are working on helping each other to grow. We're all responsible to be pouring into each other's lives to help each other to grow in Christ. We all have a role to play. And this is what the verb, where the verb mature comes in. We each individually should be seeking to mature other believers in Christ, to help them grow in their walk with the Lord. And this, we know, is what Paul endeavored to do. Colossians 1.28, the verse that our youth ministry is named after. Paul says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, we speak Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, we speak Jesus, and we warn them about the places not to go, and we teach them how they are to live so that we might present them mature in Christ. We want to see them more mature. Now, it's common for people to think of this kind of ministry of growing people in maturity as the work of pastors and elders. We pay these guys to do this work. But the Bible is clear that the work of maturing the saints is the work of the church. It's the ministry of all the saints, of every believer. And this is clear in Ephesians chapter 4, and I invite you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 4, because this is so key to how we understand what the pastor's roles are and what the, the believer's roles are, what the, what the church working together and how we go about this work of making disciples. Ephesians chapter 4. Pick up verse 11 with me. We'll read through verse 16. It says, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the key point. Christ gave pastor, shepherd, teachers to the church in order to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And as the saints do the work of ministry, the church is built up. The church is brought to maturity as all the saints do this work of ministry. That maturity does not happen unless the church is employed in this task. This is what we are called to. How do we bring about this growth? Well, we, verse 15 says we're speaking the truth in love. We've got to bring the Bible to bear in every area of our life and speak it in love to one another that we would build each other up with the Scriptures. And as we prayerfully speak the word of God to one another, maturity in each other's lives happens. And so, as a church, we're looking to mature disciples. We're looking to mature each one of you. And we want to see you, want to look to others around you to see that they are growing and that they are mature. Now, most of our ministries here at the church fall within this category. They are here to help mature the saints. Our Sunday gatherings here are for the worship of God and the edification of believers. Now, we always have an eye to those who might be in our midst who don't know Christ, but the church gathers to, to worship God and minister to itself and then scatters to minister to the world. And it's the same with our small groups and our, our Bible studies and youth ministries and training now and all these things. They seek to teach believers the word of God so that they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, so that we can grow in our faith. But I'd like to challenge us this morning that 
for some of us, we need to take a step deeper. For all of our ministries around here, I think there's still a place for us to go even deeper. For us to go deeper at a relational, more intensive level. I thank God for the small group ministries that we have here and, and how those continue to thrive. And we pray that we continue to launch more of those small groups to minister to more people. But there's a, a certain level of, uh, at the small group level that still is not able to get us to the most deepest part and enable to, to challenge us at the deepest level. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry, right? He, he had 12 disciples, but he didn't minister to all of them the same. He had what's been called the inner three, Peter, James, and John, who spent extra time with Jesus. Jesus invested an extra amount with. It was a smaller group that he was able to go deeper with. And so I believe that we can grow in developing discipleship relationships that are smaller than a small group and enable us to dig into people's lives and to help us grow. You see, it's easy to maybe even be a part of all these programs that we have, our training hour, our Sunday morning, and to have friendly relationships with people, but you're not known deeply. People don't know what's really going on in your heart and life. They don't know how you're battling with the faith. They don't know the sins that you're seeking to get over and, and that you could use help and encouragement in. We're able to live at a certain distant level, and we've got to press beyond that, beloved. We've got to, we've got to seek to help us grow in Christ. We've got to work past those barriers. Now, when we talk about discipling or discipleship, we often think of two people, particularly an older Christian with a younger Christian meeting at Starbucks once a week, and they're going through a book or whatever, and they're helping help the older one, the more mature one's helping the immature one to grow in the Lord. And I believe this model can work in some cases, maybe with a, a new believer uh, or even in a, in a mentoring environment. But I think that simply by adding one or two people to the mix, a discipleship relationship suddenly turns into a discipleship group in which now you have three, four, or five people that are gathering together for this intensive sort of relationship. And this is what I'd like to propose and challenge you to consider doing in this new year. You see, with a discipleship group, there's several things that happen. One is there's no longer a hierarchy. Sometimes with the one-on-one, -on -one, there can be this hierarchy where you have the older, the Paul, and you have the Timothy. And, and you're always kind of staying in those roles throughout the relationship and the meeting. And again, sometimes that might be appropriate. But I think it can also hinder us from, from seeking to grow together. And so a discipleship group, you get three people together, even if you have an older Christian meeting with younger Christians, and now we're meeting together, not just so that I can give you all of the wisdom that I have and that I've gleaned through my life, but that in this discipleship group, we're all growing together in Christ. My life is transparent with you, you're transparent with me, and we're growing together. This is transparent community. We're discipling each other rather than just a disciple or discipling somebody else. This can work, again, for older, younger relationships. It can also work in peer-to-peer. -peer. You getting together with people your own age or, or your friends, and you take it to this next level of depth and seek it to be not just a friendship, but a discipling relationship, discipleship group. In a group, conversation changes from a ping-pong match to a dialogue. And you know how sometimes there can be awkward silences with a one-on-one. -on -one. Well, the, the, by just adding one person or two people, it changes that and allows conversation to flow more naturally and more freely. There's less pressure on any one person. I think also accountability is natural, right? The other two people are doing their homework or they're coming prepared or they're showing up. Where are you? And so by the group dynamics, there's natural accountability. But the other key component and this is important for us, is that I believe that discipleship groups give us greater opportunity for multiplication. In other words, this enables us to not only have this experience in a discipleship group, but to be able to then go and replicate and do it elsewhere. We don't just need to do it once. We need to meet together and have deep relationships and be discipled, and then we need to go and disciple other people, and it's got to continue to replicate and continue to multiply. And that's where I think you can have three believers meeting together for a year, 18 months, 
and then you commit to break off, not to end relationship, but to break off this uh, iteration of a discipleship group so that you might go and disciple others. We've got to be thinking about replication, about multiplication. And as we disciple each other and get into each other's lives and we speak the word of God to one another, we can see one another grow in the Lord. And this, for some of you, you might be so busy meeting with people and doing these sorts of groups already and praise God as, you are, as you're involved in people's lives and you're, and you're investing and you're seeking to help grow others. But some of you, this might be what you need this year to, to, to kind of take your spiritual life and the spiritual life of others to the next level. To not just show up to small group, but maybe challenge two other guys in your small group. Hey, would you be willing to get together on a weekly basis to study the word of God together, to hold one another accountable and to pray for each other for the next year? And to see what God might do through that. To go deeper. Your impact can, can spread beyond just yourself. You see, the question every Christian needs to ask is, is, who have you discipled and who is discipling you? Who are you investing in and who's investing in you? We've got to be about this work of maturing and discipling the saints. Now, we've prepared a little starter guide, a discipleship group starter guide. If this is interesting to you and you'd like to pray about maybe this is something you can do, you can pick up a starter guide on the way out. We'll also be sending them out digitally so you can be able to, for those live streaming and those at home, can, you can be able to get that as well. They'll be able to walk you through uh, what does the simple structure look like and how do you get together with a few other believers to begin this journey together. But as I mentioned, this built into this is the importance of multiplication. And that leads us briefly to, with the final minutes we have, to that third component of multiply. Multiply disciples. And what this means, first of all, I, I would say is a spirit of multiplication. This is what I mean by that. It means that in all of our ministries, in everything that we're doing, we have a, a thought and a, and a heart that we want to see more ministry happen. We want to see more people come to Christ. We want to see more people developed. So this means, again, in a discipleship group that you're not together for three years, but that you purposely say 12 to 18 months, and then we're going to break off so that we might extend this impact to others. It also means within a small group. Your small group might need to break off and split. One leader going one way, another going another way, because we're looking to multiply and have more groups so that more people could be ministered to and blessed. With a spirit of multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ, we say, I will take that sacrifice. I will maybe separate from a group that I love so dearly and I've been together with for so long, but for the sake of Jesus, I'm willing to split and to go off so that Jesus might be honored and glorified. We've got to have a spirit of multiplication in our ministries wherever we go. Not just thinking us four no more and I love this and this is the way I want it to stay until kingdom come. Again, we love the fellowship and I'm not saying break off relationships but I'm saying a spirit of multiplication. May God help us to catch this commission that Jesus has given us so that we want to see disciples multiplied in all of our ministries as we continue to press ourselves to not just be content with what we have and what's comfortable and stay in our comfort zones, but to press out into ministry and to minister to others and bring, bring those other people in that we might help them to grow in the Lord as well. In multiplying disciples, we, it's also what Ephesians 4 talks about in terms of pastors equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. We believe that the elders here are here in order to equip you, in order to help the believers to do what God has called you to do. That happens, we have the training hour in which we teach through different subjects, some practical, some theological, for you to be built up in your faith so that you can be a faithful Christian. We want to equip you to do what God has called you to do and to continue to minister to other people. And so this, this equipping and this uh, multiplying happens generally, but it also needs to happen specifically. You're familiar with Paul's words in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul instructs Timothy to take all that he has heard from Paul and to entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. There's got to be a specific entrustment as we pass on to the next generation. And so uh, this isn't just teaching. This is training. Training that 
is like a coach on a practice field that's having them do it and build stronger and, and get better and better at this sort of ministry. And so this fall, we are uh, looking to launch a, uh, what we're calling a training center. And some of you have heard uh, about this uh, as we have some of the men in, uh, three guys in our congregation that are, are a part of this already at a n neighboring church. Uh, Pastor Art is in his final year of finishing uh, this training center. And we believe that it's what we need to add here to be able to take our training and our equipment of the saints to the next level. And we'll be having uh, some more information uh, coming the months ahead about what this is. Uh, initially, it'll be uh, targeted towards men in our congregation, but looking to expand that as we continue to develop. And uh, we are doing this so that we can better train, not just teach, not just give information, but help to build up that, that men are grown in character, conviction, and competence in the Lord and be able to minister. And some of them are going to stay and enrich the body here. Some may be called to the mission field. Some may be called to plant churches. We don't know what God is calling uh, the, the men and women here in the church to do, but we're excited to see what that is. Because you see, God has, has planned beforehand good works for each one of us to walk in. And we want to see what are those good works that God has called you to. And so we want to be more intentional about this, more intentional about training and then about multiplying. We want to see not only more believers here and more believers grown, we want to see more churches both here in America and around the world. And that's why we send. That's why we deploy for the sake of Christ. And so in conclusion, just to wrap up our time here this morning, all of this is about Jesus Christ, beloved. All of this is about Jesus. It's because he is worthy. It's because of what he has done. And so we want him to be proclaimed. We want him to be believed on. We want him to be trusted in, him to be cherished, him to be delighted in, his character to be manifested in people's lives, and his glory to be on display, his beauty shining through our lives into the church, and his power moving through us as we sacrifice our lives for his cause. May Jesus equip us to do this with greater focus and greater fervor this year than we've ever done before. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for the commission that you have given us. Father, help us to be faithful, to be faithful to all that you have given us. Lord, we, we need your strength. It's so easy to be comfortable, to settle in what we've done for so many years, but I pray that you would help us to get off the spiritual couch and enable us to lean in and to press into what you've called us to, to be about your work, Father. The end is drawing near. We want to see more and more people find new life in Christ. May you give us that passion. Give us strength to accomplish it so that you would receive the glory. Father, we don't want any of this. We don't do this so that our names will be proclaimed, but that Jesus would be treasured. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, may God strengthen us even for this week ahead to begin thinking and praying about how we might be uh, on mission for Christ. Uh, again, on your way out, there's uh, some flyers on discipleship groups. There's also a flyer on being a gospel neighbor. If you'd like more tips and ideas on being a gospel neighbor, there's one of those out there. Again, we'll send those uh, digitally as well. God bless.